0: Friends, welcome to Sunday morning at First Presbyterian Church in beautiful Columbus, Georgia. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and I want to invite you to join us in our Lenten journey, where with courage and doggedness, we will enter into the wilderness of our lives, our communities, and the world, all in preparation for the greatest gift that has ever been given in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the gifts of His love, His joy, His light, and His grace. Come on in. Let's worship together. Here now, the reading of our passage for the day, John 4, verses 5 through 42. This is the woman at the well. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon.
2: you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water.
0: The woman said to him,
1: Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks, drank from it?
0: Jesus said to her,
2: Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband.
1: What you have said is true.
0: The woman said to him,
1: Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem.
0: Jesus said to her,
1: Woman,
2: believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him most worship in spirit
1: and truth.
0: The woman said to him,
1: I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us.
0: Jesus said to her,
1: I am he, the one who is speaking to you.
0: Just then his disciples came and they were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, what what do you want or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people,
1: Come and see the man who told me everything I have ever done. He can't be the Messiah, can he?
0: They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them,
2: I have food to eat that you do not know about.
0: So the disciples said to one another, surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them,
2: my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say four four months more, then comes the harvest. But I tell you, look around and see the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor.
0: Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony.
1: He told me everything I have ever done.
0: So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I don't know what's going on with y'all. What's you thinking about? What you hearing about? It's out there and it kind of covering us up. Yesterday, as I said in my email to the church family, it was a beautiful, beautiful day. It was warm. The sun was shining. I hope everybody at least saw the sun through a window, and I hope those of you that could were able to at least step out into it for a little bit. It had been so long since I grilled. I had a meat fest yesterday, was able to go and... Uh, fight the crowds, able to get several different kinds of meat. And then I grilled it up all afternoon. That way you can freeze it, use it as we go. I had andouille sausage, had chicken breasts and chicken strips, steak tips. Um, I had one more. No, I saved the hamburger, pork chops. I had pork chops as well. So, it's just a way to be outside. Again, it was a beautiful day. And it was a reminder to me that we thought before all of this virus mess that we didn't know if we'd see the sun again anytime soon. The rain for so many months has been on us. It has been dreary and cool and rainy, flooding, consistent, until finally the beautiful day came. As if a reminder to all of us now that are worried and anxious. That we're stuck in some kind of cycle that we don't know how or when we can come out of it. That this indeed is God's world. And God is our creator. And God's light will never be overcome by the darkness of this or any world. Felt good to have the sunlight and the warmth on my face. And it looks like another good one today as well, so far. But the world is different. It's different out there. We are in somewhat uncharted waters as we deal with a world that is seeking to address a pandemic. We don't want to overreact and cause panic. We don't want to underreact and not do our part to stop the spread of disease and possibly infect our people. We don't want that. So we're kind of stuck. One of the issues is that we don't know a whole lot about this yet. And we know we don't have the testing yet, which is not a political comment, but we're just not there yet. I'm sure once we get our tests out to where they need to be, it's going to dramatically rise. But we don't know. And we don't know the future. how, How long is this going to cycle and burn itself out? Will we as humankind find a way, our scientists, our researchers, to combat this? Well, we don't know. And of course, it makes us anxious. And whether you think this is overblown and not a real threat at all, whether you think this may be politically or media motivated or at least exaggerated, or you think that we know it's out there and so we need to do everything that we can to care that we're doing the right thing from our perspective and in our corner of the world. Either way, people are anxious Two words. Toilet paper. Right. You know it. I know it. Toilet paper, milk, bread. So clearly in these times of crisis, we're making toilet paper milk sandwiches <laughs> that we think we cannot do without and we've got to get it before our neighbor gets it, then we'll be okay. And I, you know, I don't blame folks. We all get caught in it. Whatever you think of the virus, you start to hear, well, they're running out of stuff. Well, I, I, we, we need stuff. So we, we all go, and all of a sudden, it's a crisis. Two nights ago, we were out of milk and eggs, and I wasn't going to Publix, wasn't going to Target, wasn't going to Walmart, wasn't going to the Piggly Wiggly Because of all that I heard about, that it's panic zone and people are crazy and like Black Friday or something. And so I did the easy thing. I went to the Chevron station about three minutes from my house. Guess what they have there? Milk and eggs. So I got that easy as pie. Next day, yesterday, again, I was out. It was a beautiful day. I thought, you know what? I'm going to go by the grocery store and see if it's as chaotic as everyone says. And it really wasn't there were some items that they were out of. Toilet paper, hand sanitizer, but everything else was there. Again, I I bought all this meat because I was afraid that was going to run out. Can't do without meat. So that was my afternoon grilling. But in the store, everything was fine. They had milk, they had fruit, they had candy, they had ice cream, As Americans, we'll be okay. Bread, bread was gone. That's another one. So uh, again, it's not necessarily the case that we are in this state of panic or crisis. But again, some of us are. It is hard to be in this place because moving forward can be delicate. There are political overtones to some of this. But at the end of the day, people are at risk to some degree. What that degree is, we're not quite sure. But the interesting thing is that in this Lenten journey, these 40 days, whether they know it or not, the world has joined us in the wilderness for this 40-day journey. The word quarantine is Latin for the word 40. Yes, I'm going to read it because I want to get it right. Oh, no, I'm not. Venetian ships during the Black Plague would quarantine ships in their bay for 40 days to try to stop the spread of the Black Death, the bubonic plague. The word quarantine is 40, 40 days. Many of our friends are quarantining themselves, just in case. Our higher risk population is quarantining themselves. Depending on where we've been, who we've been around, many are self-quarantining. That's a word. But it strikes me remarkable that as we entered our Lenten wilderness journey several weeks ago, we had no idea we'd have so much company. Because whether they know it or not, we're all created by God, we're a part of the same human family, and for the foreseeable future, these next 40 days, we are walking together in the wilderness. That place that can symbolize loneliness, hardship, confusion, a place where things are out of our control, and fear and anxiety are present. This woman at the well, very much in that zone, and while she is in her wilderness, who does she bump into at the well? Jesus. In this story, we know it's the fourth chapter in the Gospel of John. We're just coming off the visit with Nicodemus who came to Jesus at night. And Jesus and his disciples are moving from Judea back to Galilee up north. And what is smack dab right there in the middle? Samaria, where the Samaritans live. So often people coming from Jesus's area north went around Samaria because the Samaritans were unclean. They were enemies. The Samaritans and Jews at one time were one people. They had a church split and over arguments of where the true church was, the true temple where God resided. For those who split the Samaritans, Mount Gerizim was where they thought God resided. For the Jews, they stayed in Jerusalem for that temple. There was also unclean things as people both pointed at each other and said, you're wrong, no, you're wrong. So they became enemies, they became unclean to one another which is why they stayed so far away from one another. And Jesus decides to go directly through, comes to this well known as Jacob's well in a city near Shechem, a little town called Sychar, S-Y-C-A-R. And the amazing thing about that is that the well is still in existence. There's a monastery around it now. And one of the few things that I've seen scholars that are Jewish, Christian, and Muslim agree that that was the well that Jacob was attributed to and that this conversation took place. There's been churches over it. There's been other sites and places, but now it is uncovered and part of in the walls of a monastery. My understanding is you can go and to visit. So this is a pretty solid location in our archaeological world for a biblical site. So Jesus is thirsty. He's been walking in the desert. He's alone at the well. He's already sent the disciples out to go get some food. So he is thirsty and hungry, but he doesn't draw the water. He sits and in comes the Samaritan woman, given no name We don't know much about her, except she comes at noon to draw water. That's the first thing we know. So right away, we can assume that she was not welcome with the rest of the women who would come in the cool of the morning, who would go together to start the day's chores, to draw the water for their families, for the community, and head back. Here was a woman who in the heat of the day came alone by herself to this well. She's there, and all of a sudden, this Jewish man starts to speak to her. Give me a drink of water, Jesus says, startled. Why are you talking? Why are you even here? It is hard for us to see the radical nature of Jesus speaking to her. And they have this, I will summarize the conversation because it's a huge piece of scripture. It's so good. We could do a month of Sundays on this one passage. And at first, Jesus says, you know what? I know where you can get some water that if you drink it, you'll never be thirsty again. I'll give you I can give living water. And she says, where can I get it? Where can I drink from magic well with magic water that I'll never have to come and draw water again? That's what she's thinking. And so they continue on in this conversation. She's smart, Alec, a little bit. You don't even have a bucket, mister. And why do you ask me, a Samaritan woman, to come and do this? Where is this water? And in the midst of that, Jesus then continues to talk and says, where's your husband? And she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus immediately says, well, you're right. You've been married five times and the one you're with is not your husband. Now, the interesting thing is, is that Jesus doesn't then condemn her. He doesn't point his finger and say, you were bad, you are bad and sinful He doesn't even say, I forgive you, go and sin no more. He hears from her, and the first thing we see is that she is honest. She doesn't try to make up a story about her situation. She could say, well, we're engaged to be married, if that helps, or we got married and nobody knew about it, so you probably couldn't have known. She is honest when she comes into the presence of Christ. So this first step in our journey is for us to admit and repent. That's what this Lenten journey is all about. And it's for us to realize that we are empty and thirsty. With all of this mess that we are dealing with on top of our normal challenges, it is very easy to become spiritually parched. And to admit that we are empty and are seeking this water of life. was the first thing we learned from this woman. She is honest and she is open. In our Lenten journey, we are called to do the same. Take that step into an inward look and to recognize and call out and be honest to Jesus who knows us already. But he doesn't judge her. He doesn't say, go away and do some things and come back. He offers living water to her. So much so, then she runs and leaves and goes and is so excited after Jesus tells her that he is the Messiah, he goes back to the city. In that process, the disciples come back and see the woman still there with Jesus before she goes back to tell others. And they're, you know, as you would think, mouths open, eyes wide. What are you doing? Do you know who this is? Why, why are you even talk, Why are we even here? We should have gone around. I told you we should have gone around. And in the, but nobody asked Jesus a thing. Even Peter, who we know is impulsive and acts, asks, Questions did not say a word. So then the woman leaves and comes back with all the people that she has just gone to to say, hey, I think he's the Messiah. He, he told me everything that i all about me. He couldn't be the Messiah, could he? And so all that she was able to find come with her. And as they are approaching Jesus and the disciples, Jesus says, four months from now is the harvest. But the harvest is ready. It is time to reap, as if to look at those people that are coming toward them and to say, "This is your harvest." These are the ones that we are calling to be in community and relationship, to welcome in to God's and Christ's family." And if we look at Nicodemus and this woman, interesting stories. Nicodemus is learned and educated. He is top of the socioeconomic power index. He's in the Jewish Fortune 500. He is a teacher, a rabbi. In every way, he has got the pedigree. He is covered. He is the man, which is why he comes to Jesus at night. Jesus says, you have to be born again. How can I be born again? Who can go into their mother's womb? very much like opposite from this woman. She is at the lowest end of every indicator. She is in her own wilderness of marginalization, of societal degradation, possible and probable abuse, no money, no alternative, but to live as an outcast, as a resident alien, and she comes to Jesus. She doesn't come. She just meets Jesus in the daytime. Comes into contact with him. Well, I'll give you water that you won't ever bring me this water so I don't have to drink again. And the disciples. How to, where did he get food? Well, this food came from another source. What do you mean there's no... Again, three in a row. Jesus is here. Jesus is talking to us and we hear it here when Jesus is really up here. It is... Jesus to Nicodemus, being born from water and spirit. Jesus with the woman at the well, the water of life, living water. And with the disciples, the food that comes from serving my God. But the questions are fascinating. The woman at the well, after she is convicted by Jesus, not reprimanded, because he never says, don't do that, or you're a bad person, or sin no more. He just calls her out and says, this is your situation. And right away, her first response is to ask a question that I think devi- trying to get Jesus out of her head, out of her heart, and out of her life. Whoa, what did he just tell me? Um, Jesus, I you're a teacher, you're a rabbi, so where is the true... Home of the church, is it Mount Gerizim? Is it in Jerusalem? I think that was to avoid further conversation with this guy because he knew so much about her and now he's a threat to her because he knows all about her. So Jesus being a teacher, how how do I divert this to some other topic that's away from me? Hey, why is it that that's not where it's left. Often we too, when we find ourselves in the presence of Christ, maybe it's a retreat, maybe it's a Bible study, maybe it's a worship, maybe it's serving others together, maybe it's reading a book, listening to a song, maybe in times of prayer and study, we too, like the woman, often feel a sense, feel a churn, feel some connection, and then with questions... We default to that as our defense mechanism. Gosh, I really feel something is going on. Why is there suffering in the world, and what is God's role in it? You know that that really spoke to me. That's important. We were serving these people, and and we became not thus and they and us, but one people together. And how's what do you define the Trinity? How can God the Father and the Holy Spirit be one? And God be the father and Jesus is the son, is he sacrificing himself on the cross? Is there really one person or is it really a son? Questions can lead us to Christ and questions can separate us from Christ. If we use them as a defense mechanism, as I believe she is at this point, because we're afraid of what happens when we're in the presence of Christ. We're afraid to open ourselves up and give ourselves to him because we fear what he knows and what we will be asked to do. And all we're doing is turning away from the living water that we so desperately seek and need. So use your questions to seek and be in the presence of Christ, not as a defense mechanism to keep you from believing, following, and committing yourself. And finally... That piece at the end with the disciples about the harbor and, excuse me, about the harvest will be ready in a few months, but I'm, I'm looking, disciples, they're coming right here. All these people are coming with the woman at the well. That is our harvest, he's saying to them. So in the midst of the mess of this virus, in the midst of our quarantining, in the midst of an unprecedented shutdown in society and world, I don't even remember this much after 9-11 being shut down. What do we do as Christians? What are we called to do and be? And do we simply go home, isolate ourselves, and wait? I think if we do that, we are missing a tremendous opportunity to serve and to be in the presence of Christ and to share living water. Think about it. Whether we decide to shut the doors to worship, we will still worship, will still, will broadcast worship, and you're at home, what can you do? What if you were to now look around and think about those folks that you sit near, when you're at home, you can check on them and they can check on you. All of you at home right now, no matter what church or community you belong to, you can share this living water with other people who might be struggling, who might be overcome with fear, who might be afraid to step out of their house. We've all seen the stories. A friend of ours told us about going to the grocery store. And as they were going, a couple was there, an older, frail couple. And they said, excuse me, you seem trustworthy. We've got $93 and a list. Could you go to the store and get us what we need? Because we're afraid to be around other people, we are in the high-risk group. What if you were to look around your neighborhood and look and see who might be in that target category that might be a little more fearful and knock on their door, give them a call, however you communicate and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to the store, can I do anything for you? Do you have any needs that I could help you? I just want you to know I'm here if you ever need us. This is an opportunity for us as Christians to shine. The more that we separate and silo, the more the opportunities are there for us to connect in new and different ways. The world is going to continue. People in need are still going to be in need, and we have to continue to help them. The bad thing about a crisis environment is that we are too likely to withdraw in and say everybody's got to take care of themselves, i got to take care of me and mine, as opposed to reaching out like a, a root system of trees that support one another as they connect to one another. Who can you help in your neighborhood? Who is going to be in trouble because their business shut down or they can't get out of their house Or go to any places. And just because older adults are in the higher risk zone, it doesn't mean that the rest of us aren't already infected. I hope that's not the case. But all I'm saying is we all have skin in this game, and we are all being called to drink this living water that Christ is offering, so that in the wilderness, in this journey, We may not just feed and nourish ourselves, but that we can take it to a world because you know it is parched out there. It is spiritually dry. Fear and anxiety are 27, 24-7. And we are people of hope and light and today living water. So with courage, let us not just silo ourselves away from the rest of the world and wait. We are to make intentional connections every day. Consider it a Lenten discipline from this point on. Who can I help today that needs some help that is a little bit different or might be because of the virus? That's our call today. We have an opportunity that we must embrace So let us drink, let us drink heartily of this living water that it would transform us and the world through the love of Christ. Hallelujah. Amen.